Well, welcome to Current Yield. This is uh, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air, and I am Jim Grant. And with me, as always, is the great Deputy Editor of Grant's, Evan Lorenz. And uh, with us today, not as always and all too infrequently, is uh, Peter Chapinelli, and about whom and from whom you will hear in just a moment. First, Evan, I want to... I just want to say this. I want to put this out. I know we're going to talk about bonds today and about the 60-40 national portfolio mix and about the Bloomberg-Barclays or Barclay-Bloomberg or Ag Index. I got to say that uh, in the context of the UFO crisis that is still being swept under the rug in this country, I would say that even the lamentable state of our capital markets dwindle into something, if not insignificance, not exactly insignificant, but certainly Shouldn't we think about matters, earthly matters, temporal matters, with a little more perspective after the, this extraordinary 60 minutes broadcast? I mean, I'm, what do you think? Well, given the valuations where the uh, market's trading it today, we need an incremental buyer. If that buyer's green, that's okay, too. I suppose that's true. Yeah. Well, we, ha- we are soon have outposts on Mars, and I suppose that might uh, help with a bid. Um, but I, I, as I said, I, I wanted to, uh, to help us understand the uh, – uh, the difficulties of our finances in the context of a greater world, indeed uh, cosmic problems. So um, I'm not, you know, Peter uh, was a uh, as an alumnus of uh, is an alumnus of Carlton College, is Carlton College Knight, and uh, studied at the Wharton School where he earned his MBA and is not only a CFA charter holder as is Evan, but also is a holder of the Chartered Alternative Investment Analysts thing. Yeah, he's a C-A-I-A, not just a C-F-A. Sexually known as a Kaya. Huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Peter, welcome welcome to Current Yield. Oh, well, th- thanks to both of you for having me. Yeah, this is going to be special. Peter um, uh, gave a talk at uh, a grants conference. I think it was in 2019. No? That's right, all 2019 conference. Uh, very boffo. And in it, um, you pointed some uh, some of the very difficulties that uh, we are about to discuss today. Let me begin, uh, Peter. Uh, is there a place for bonds? Uh, oh, whoa, whoa, before you answer this loaded question, uh, we have to have not only a word from the sponsor, which is Grant's Interest Rate Observer, but also we have to point out that Peter is uh, a member of the uh, asset allocation team at GMO, the eminent Boston uh, value-seeking investment operation. And it would be a heck of a thing, Peter, if we got done with this podcast and nobody knew <laughs> nobody knew uh, from whence you come. So let it be known. That apart from, let that happen. Apart from Carlton, apart from Wharton, apart from everything else, you are at GMO. Uh, I think Jeremy Grantham works for you, does he not? <laughs> This is being recorded, correct? So. <laughs> I, just, I just want to help your career track there, Peter. <laughs> no, all right, my so, colleagues, by the way, knew I was doing this, and they, and they all send their best regards and hope all, all right. both families are doing well and uh, everyone's doing well at, uh, at Grant. Well, good. Yes, we are thriving. Thank you. So what about it, uh, Peter? You know, bonds yield about nothing, certainly less than nothing in real terms. Uh, we have to own them because they are a thing. But is there a place for bonds in the uh, thoughtfully managed as opposed to conventionally managed portfolio? So so the way we have always approached this question is, and you won't be surprised, it's sort of, it, it, it depends. And why that has great meaning at GMO certainly is we have a variety of clients with a variety of different objectives, and we like like any rational, commercial-oriented 
uh, investment manager, have a few different solutions. So there absolutely are clients out there that are adhering to a strategic policy, a benchmark, if you will, that guides the decision-making of their entire aggregate pool of assets, both on the institutional and the retailer advisor in the advisor world. And then we have another set of clients who perhaps years ago, hopefully years ago, migrated away from benchmark thinking. And we have a strategy, for, we have a solution for them as well. So it's a very, very, I'll answer the question very, very differently uh, because although the theme of bonds is identical to both, but one has constraints versus the other one not having constraints. Um, the one that has constraints um, is a strategy literally benchmarked to a 60-40-like portfolio where that 40% is the Bloomberg-Barclays AG. And the agreement we have with the client is we can make some tilts against that, but at the end of the day, um, there's a limit to how much our pretty bad opinion of bonds can find their way in, into the portfolio. We do have to own some. And then for the other solution, the name of the strategy literally is benchmark-free, and as the, as the name implies, we are not beholden to any benchmark. We are instead beholden to a return objective. Um, we're trying to earn 5% above inflation, what we call five real. And that five real was not pulled out of thin air. Five real is a very, very meaningful return target for U.S. pension plans, for college endowments with spending formulas, and we would argue even for for individual investors, five percent real. Okay, let, let uh, me ask. Let me ask about the uh, the arithmetic of five percent real. So, yes. Evan, what is the uh, the run rate of the CPI this year? Is it is it five number or six number? What was it? Um, yeah, I believe it's in the high fours. <laughs> high, high fours. Okay. Okay. I'm just I'm just looking ahead then. Okay. I, I, I have all that. Okay. So high fours. And the ten-year uh, Treasury is yielding. Uh, Evan, uh, is it yielding four percent? No, the ten-year no. right now is yielding a little bit less than one point six percent. How is such a thing possible, given the efficiency uh, of markets? And uh, no, never mind. That's, I'm, we're not going to. We're going to get away from sarcastic questions. So, Peter, yeah. we're looking at a four percent plus inflation rate on the run, and we are looking at bond yields uh, less than half of that. Uh, so it seems like a lot of ground to cover to achieve five percentage points over that rate of inflation. How can you begin to do it with a portfolio that has as much as 40% in bonds? So a, few, a few thoughts. Um, first, we don't look at – we're not focused on year by year. It's over, over a full market cycle. We're trying to be 5% real. Okay. And our expectation is that – and, we, and maybe this is probably going to be a different part of the discussion, but we don't think the current CPI run rate of, of – high fours, or, or if, even if it creeps up to, to low fives, is sustainable. We don't think that's going to be the – now, there could be a notch up from long-term historical trends. But our general assumption is that we're going to cycle back or get back to a – call it between 2 and 2.5%. Two and so that's the number. That's the bogey that we're, we're trying to earn above that 2 to 2.5% two uh, return. In the um, – in the benchmark-free strategy, which, which has that objective of five real, you sort of answered the question with the question. There is no room for treasuries. It can't be done. The math just doesn't work. So there are, there, in fact, there's, there isn't much room for bonds at all. We do own a smattering of credit, but it's, it's de minimis. It's less than 10% that we own in, in any bonds whatsoever. So bonds almost have little to no role in a strategy that's trying to generate Five percent real today, um, well, Evan. Why don't you why don't you put on your um, Van Hoisington uh, lacy hunt hat? 
and weigh in here with a question or two about uh, let's have someone in this call besides uh, Peter and me stand up for bonds. So what would you ask Peter concerning uh, uh, bonds given so, so uh, inflation says GMO is transitory just like the Fed mm-hmm. and uh, maybe with the weight of debt in the world uh, we're looking at the wrong inflation maybe the, the clear and present risk is deflation in which case I'm going to prompt you to ask Peter one point six percent is going to look good right well, the Van Hoysenten people say, and they've been right for the last decade, that every time interest rates rise a little bit, it just quashes all economic growth and therefore rates fall lower. On top of this, you have a very interventionalist central bank that last year backstopped corporate bonds, which would seem to kind of lower some kind of risk premium in bonds. At the same time, you also have um, baby boomers aging, and as they age, they should logically switch hey. to their portfolio. Hey! <laughs> Well, some people are aging, and, and, and logically, they should um, shift some of their portfolio from equities to bonds just because it's a lower-risk return asset. And it seems like those things could support you know, even lower yields. Yeah. Let me let – me, before, Peter, um, while you think about that one, let me um, uh, correct one thing. Van and, and Lacey Hunt have been right not just for a decade uh, – not just for two decades, but actually since uh, – Alec- where is Alexander Hamilton, the treasurer? <laughs> All right. So, Peter, answer that question. Just try. All right. Sure. So, so there's, I'll, I'll throw in a few more. I mean, we, we, we hear it all the time. Isn't there a role for bonds still, even with you know, negative real yields? And that is their anti-correlative nature to equities. Huh? So from a portfolio construction standpoint, isn't there always still going to be a role? Um, and, and here's a few thoughts. First, if you are convinced that GMO does not do economic forecasting, as you and your listeners may or may not know, that's not what we do. Um, uh, we tend not to be very entertaining at cocktail parties when people want to talk about economic forecasts. We really don't. It's real, first of all, it's really hard to do. Economists get it wrong all the time. GMO walked away from that game a long time ago. We don't try to forecast economic activity. But if you did and you were convinced that we are on the precipice of a recession or a depressionary environment, then absolutely. Now, we, we have no such view. Either way, we're just looking at price and valuation. Um, with an assumption, a key assumption that things through a full cycle return to normal. So, so I'm not going to argue the point. If, if you are convinced that, um, that we are on the precipice of a dangerous economic scenario, by all means, hold your bonds. But it's a big okay, bet. Yeah. Peter, the GM, GMO is famous for its adherence to uh, the discipline of, uh, of returning to the mean. This is something that uh, has been talking about his whole career. But the evidence in recent uh, years or even recent cycles is that the uh, return to something like uh, the mean, uh, you know, it seems as if it were as if the world is changing such that uh, what can't happen does happen. And uh, that impossible thing seems to be sustained over the course of not just fiscal quarters, but painful years for the seekers of value in both equities and debt. So is in fact uh, are we in fact looking for some sort of reversion to the mean mechanism working on here? We we are, and the question the question we're asking though is not is mean reversion dead? Is more of is there a different mean that things are reverting back to? So in our forecast, which again, you're, Jim, I think you're a, probably a reader of our forecast. I know some of your listeners may be, Evan, you may be as well. Our published forecasts have built into them an assumption of mean reversion in, in terms of our, our uh, PE multiples, profit margins for our equity forecasts and our slopes and our, and our, and our real yield, so the normal real yield. Those are assumptions. Could they be wrong? Absolutely. But we've tried to think that one through. We have a whole, we maintain a 
different book of forecasts called the partial mean reversion. Now, you may get a kick out of this. When we first published these over seven or eight years ago, they were originally called the hell forecasts. I can explain if you're curious because it has more to do with, with equity. But, but it basically said, look, we've witnessed unbelievable intervention slash manipulation on the part of the Fed in the pricing of bonds, um, of central banks, not, not, just, not just our Fed. Um, is it possible, I mean, is it possible that we are in a new era and that past history is, is no longer a valid framework. And so the assumption built into that world scenario is that interest rates stay low forever. And even in that scenario, you don't need GMO to tell you that bonds still suck. Is that a CFA term, Evan? Yes, sorry. I, I think it's a Kaya term. I do have one question for you, Peter, uh, and then going back to the unconstrained portfolio that you run. So you do publish your seven-year asset class real return forecast, and I have it sitting in front of me. And looking across it, only one asset class has a positive expected real return, and that's emerging value, but it's 2.2%, and you said that you target a 5% return. I'd love to understand how anybody uh, with the assumptions that you have baked into this model can get returns that high in a world where it seems like central banks have, um, I, I guess, pumped assets to such a level that it's hard to achieve that. Sure. So there's <laughs> um, how much time? Oh, I suppose we've got quite a bit of time to talk about it. Um, yeah, we've built a portfolio. Oh, we all the time in the world. <laughs> this, this venture-free portfolio certainly cannot look normal, <laughs> um, cannot look like a 60-40. Look, the, we believe this, again, this 5% real is, is not a, a number out of thin air. We have a interesting chart. I'm more than willing to send it to you or send it again to any of your readers. We, we, we can track the performance of the 60-40 portfolio going back to 1900. And interestingly enough, from 1900 to 2020, the 60-40 portfolio basically delivered 5% real. So, so for it to be a bogey for pension plans, endowments, and individual investors, there's, there's, there's history to support that. Um, the problem, though, is that's you know 120-year time horizon. <laughs> no one has a 120-year time horizon. Um, and what gets lost in the shuffle is um, that that 60-40 portfolio can and has experienced lost decades. If you held it for 10 years, I mean, imagine you're an advisor or you're a portfolio manager like GMO or a passive, I should say, a passive investment manager where you have to sit across from your client and an investment committee and let them know that the 60-40 portfolio, one of the most blessed portfolios in, 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 in investing, delivered a 0% real rate of return for 10 years. And yet what, what, periods, what, what periods are those, Peter? Um, they were, well, we just we, basically the 2000s was our latest one. Um, but they've happened, again, I'm not saying they're frequent, but they happen, I think people would be surprised at how frequently they do happen. Because it's, again, the 60-40 is, is considered the gold standard. Um, when you look at the, when they did happen, it was not, um, it was not random. Each of the lost decades started with either the 60 or the 40. So every lost decade suffered from an, from an or problem. Uh, today we've got an and problem. The 60 okay. and the 40 are expensive. So holding anything even closely resembling a 60-40 is, from GMO's perspective, is a sure way not to make five real. And in fact, you're setting well, this, yourself. This, this, this almost one. sounds like the this almost sounds like the council of despair. I mean, if, if you can make if you're looking at a seven-year best return of 2.2 percent, 
you're looking at, uh, for example, U.S. bonds, uh, you project to deliver minus 2.3. That's not five real. No. U.S. large cap equities are almost minus 8%. Essentially impossible. Holding a traditional passive 60-40, pack your bags. It it, it most likely is not going to happen. History certainly isn't on your side. The point of this is you want to avoid this potential lost decade. And the only way to do that is to not look like the 60-40. In fact, look as different as you possibly can. And that's so, right. so that's, that's Bitcoin, uh, NFTs? No. <laughs> no. But you have to get into, into quote-unquote more interesting stuff. We, we, we call it there's, there's three – there's a couple of things you can do. First of all, we're, we're in a growth bubble, global growth bubble. Growth stocks around the world, we believe, are in a bubble. And there's a few things you can do to increase the odds of you – coming out of the next decade in very in, in decent shape, perhaps even very decent shape. We call it you can you can exploit the bubble, you can avoid the bubble, or you can concentrate your bets. And so you're you brought up the forecast. So emerging value is a key component. Now I'm gonna get into inside baseball here on the on the GMO forecast. But what we post on the website and what you're looking at is what we call our spot forecast. That's on that particular date on I don't know if you're looking at the April thirtieth forecast or the right. the March one. Correct. But on that on that particular date, EM value looks uh, you know positive 2.2. Um, but the prior year, it was much like a year ago, it was much higher, much much higher. So we use a rolling 12 months as opposed to the spot forecast to make uh, portfolio construction decisions. So if you looked at the 12 month average of our forecast, it was high single digits. So we, we were actually still quite constructive. On emerging value. Now, emerging value has rallied strongly, so our forecasts have come come down as you would expect. But um, but we still got we still feel strongly that the expected return from emerging value is still in solid solid high single digit territory. So that's point one. Point two is what you don't see on your forecast as well is a narrow niche of Japan small value, which frankly has lagged for a very very long period of time, and frankly hasn't participated in well as well in the recent rally. So Japan value, despite very, very encouraging and improving fundamentals, hasn't really caught the attention of the world. So we're very, very constructive on Japan's small value, which again is not on the forecast that you see. The behind the scenes, GMO is forecasting something like 53 different at narrow niche asset classes. So Japan value is also part of the equation. But when you add it all up, we're, we're only about 30% in traditional long equities. And, what, and I'm going to put traditional in quotes because our equity portfolio, our long equity portfolio, is a heavy dose of emerging value and a heavy dose of Japan small value. It owns no U.S. So right out of the gate, just in talking about, again, traditional equities, we're already in non-traditional land. So that's point one. Point two is what we're allowed to do, and this is really, really exciting, is in this strategy, we are allowed to use alternative type strategies. We can go long short. And this is where things are very, very interesting and where the growth bubble is really so fascinating. So the valuation disparity between global growth stocks and global value stocks is some of the widest we've ever seen. In fact, there was only a few months in late 1999 where we saw it wider. This is what we can exploit. This is actually quite exciting. This is where we're going to make, we believe, a lot of money, where it's basically long a basket a well-diversified basket of, of global value stocks and short a basket of ridiculously priced, overpriced global growth stocks. The valuation spread between those is in double-digit land. In fact, our largest holding 
is a strategy specifically designed to exploit this very, very unusual phenomenon. We call yeah, it give equity. Us, give us, give us some ex- what has yeah. gone on. Give us um, some examples, please, of the uh, absurdly overvalued growth stocks you see worldwide. I, I prefer not to get into individual names. This is not this this thesis is not predicated. What you know, okay. what asset allocators? Got it. No, I'm not going to ask you for the names. Just the tickers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and by the way, David, right. but but it's the, 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 in fact the very point. I, I, I will give an example. Um, uh, probably no surprise, but Tesla is sort of a it's an easy poster child version of it. Um, but this is not the thesis is not predicated on on finding, you know just Teslas or just a few of these. Each side of this strategy has 200 names, so it's not predicated upon getting every single right. ticker correct. So, so, so let's just let's make sure I understand. So you are short the things that ought to be sold, and you are long the things that ought to be bought. Now, how do you manage the short book given uh, the, uh, the career and life-wrecking uh, experiences we have had this year with such stocks as GameStop and AMC. Short selling has been um, uh, the path to uh, really, really premature aging for any practitioner. And it doesn't matter if you've got 200 of these things so they blow up or, or if you have 10, you are looking at a world of hurt. So yeah. this is it, first two questions. Are you actually short these things you do with options, one? And two, no, we are has, actually short has, and... G, oh, has GMO ever been this short before? So we've, we've created strategies like this. We're not exactly structured this way, we, but we've done it very, very rarely. <laughs> but we have done it in the past. We've, oh, these, these types of dislocations don't happen frequently. We're talking once every 10 to 15 years. The last time we did this was in, was in the 07, 08 period. And it worked out beautifully. The time prior to that was, of course, the 99-2000 era. That worked out beautifully. So they don't no, have – Wait, wait, wait. That's in retrospect. Now I'm going to ask you something. As, as a fellow sufferer – yeah, fine – sufferer yeah. with a call or two that might have been slightly – what's the word, Evan, early? Okay. Perspicacious. How, how, many, how many market-adjusted months were there in the year 1999? I'm going I'm to say 30 – you say it worked out beautifully. I'm going to say that 1999 was barely survivable. Now, GMO was on the ropes in 1999, was it not, from the point of view of, of client defections and, and mutiny and yeah, now, snowballs? Now, this strategy is not this strategy, these long short strategies are, are not for everybody. I want to be, I want to be clear. These are these are specialized okay. things. Okay. Um, and we we make we make darn sure that the buyer of these knows exactly what's what's what they're buying. Obviously. But everything you said about the GameStop and the and short squeezes, you know, when you, when you arrive at GMO within the first few days, you can't help but get, you know, when, when we get to required readings, you can't help but fully understand that this firm gets it. They, they understand quite well the dangers of shorting. Um, we, we approach shorting with all the respect of the damage uh, that it can do. And so when we, we, when we do these things, again, we, we don't do them frequently. We do so almost reverently with the respect for how much damage shorting can do. Because Peter, look, every let, value let, me ask, let me ask you about uh, short selling from the point of view of bonds. So uh, the world over, um, Evan, have you looked at the uh, negative nominal yielding bond segment recently? Peter, you probably know this. How many, how many trillions of dollars worth of bonds in the world yield less than nothing in nominal terms? Is it still like 10 to 12 to 15 trillion? Right. It was, it was 17 not too long ago, but I think it's improved a little bit the last six or seven months. But it's still right. it's jaw-dropping. And so yeah, so what, what if? What about what about those shorting, shorting treasuries? We're not. 
the, the, the classic widowmaker. We, we, we tend to shy away. Uh, it's on the equity front that we are, and I'm going to use the term, more comfortable. Um, but no one at GMO is, I'll say, um, okay. Let's let's not, let's not let's return this conversation to um, to an approach to investing uh, that people on this list, our listeners might be more comfortable with. So, uh, granted that GMO knows what it's doing and that uh, it uh, proceeds uh, with. Uh, Great knowledge, also great respect and humility into the realms of the uh, exotic and the uh, virtuostic, right? Like shorting baskets of things and buying. A, okay, that's the GMO and its clients. But for uh, people listening in, uh, Peter, what you know? So, say you want to implement not uh, uh, the exact uh, client regimen of GMO because you have to pay for that as you must and should. Yep. But uh, what ideas can a listener take away? from the GMO approach that are applicable today um, with not massive sums of money? Yeah. So, so we're asked this question all the time, and, and, and your listeners might, be, might not be totally pleased with the, uh, with the response because the short of it is, no, no pun intended, is it, it really is difficult to do. We, we, what we've done is we've tried to convey, if, if you're convinced that this is a reasonable approach, if you're convinced that this valuation spread is indeed historic, and if you're convinced that you want to exploit this, there are things you can do as an individual investor in ETF and in passive land. The easiest way to capture the spirit of the exercise would be to, and you could do this very, very cheaply, would be to go long either a single, I, don't, I, I, I think there is an ACWI value ETF out there, but if, even if there isn't, you could construct it using a, a few different combinations of ETFs. You could go long a basket of ACWI, All Country World Index value stocks, and you could short collection of ETFs or a single ETF growth stocks. But you would capture the spirit of the exercise, but we would advise strongly against doing it for two, doing it at home. Yeah. For, yeah, for two main reasons. This really is an instance of, of don't try this at home for two main reasons, and that has everything to do with how these ETFs are constructed. The first is they tend to have massive sector bet. So if you were to do, as I said, in ETF land, in passive land, in cheap vehicle land, you would be long. <laughs> you would have a huge bet on banks and a huge okay. bet against technology. Fair enough. Hey, uh, and me, our, let point me, is, yeah. our point is we're not sure you want to do that. <laughs> and, and more importantly, we're not sure you have to do that because the, the beauty of this world scenario that we're living through right now is it kind of doesn't – you can take a sector-neutral approach. This valuation spread is true not just within banks, not just within technology, but it's true within consumer discretionary. It's true within consumer stables. It's really odd. And so the ETF passive route just ain't going to get you there. You're going to make some really, really large unintended bets. That's the Peter, I am, I, am, I am a listener, and I uh, have got a 401k, and it's uh, doing nicely, uh, notwithstanding, uh, perhaps because of the overvaluation everywhere. But um, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's 60-40. I'm listening to this call, and I'm wondering, uh, what should I do about that? I know you're not in a position to, nor would you choose to be in a position to advise anyone to do anything. You're, you're talking about your own clients. But I'm this guy with a 60-40 portfolio. So, so tell me, if you would, please, Peter, what should I expect from this if I do nothing but persist in holding what has worked for 120 years? What yeah. is the future? I think, I, I think this, the future of 60-40 at, at these prices, at these starting valuations. Look, we have no beef with the 60-40. As I said, if your time horizon is long enough, it's delivered 
on that 5% rate, and, I'm, and I'm, I made a joke about 120 years, but if your time horizon is really, really long, 60-40 became a gold standard for good reason. You know, it, it, it can work over extended periods of time. Um, if, if the 60 and the 40 were fairly valued today, GMO would be the first in line to say buy it. But today is not that day. Today what is can not you expect? What, do you, what, do you, what can you expect in 70 years as a holder of a 60-40 portfolio at this moment? You're barely going to make you're barely going to make any money above inflation. Our forecast for U.S. equities, which dominate the 60, is negative today. It doesn't matter which corner of U.S. you're looking at. Our forecast, give... our forecast for bonds is is definitely has you know no, no big surprise. It's also negative in real terms. So the odds of you earning a real return over inflation, I mean, with holding a 60-40, are quite abysmal right now. And Peter, no. um, j- j- just to, to push something that you actually wrote in November of last year, you wrote yeah. a paper called Tonight We Leave the Party Like It's 1999. Yeah. And just going over some of the periods where the 60-40 underperformed, you don't have the exact dates here because it's on a long time chart of 120 years, but from about 1900 to about 1920, the 60-40 underperformed for 19 years uh, total, to a total tune of 1.8% per year. From 1929 to, um, uh, I guess, 42, it underperformed for 13 years. From the late 40s to the early 50s, seven years. From the late 60s through the mid-70s, nine years. From the late 70s until about 84, it looks like 11 years. And then you have a 10-year underperformance from um, 2000 through 2010. Right. So these periods can be quite extensive. Yeah, and this is what no one wants to talk about it. And because the 60-40, again, it seems to be the safe option, but it's a safe career option, not a safe investment option. In fact, that, that 1900 example we sometimes point out, remember I, had, I said we've, we have an and problem, not an or problem? All the other periods that you referenced, it was either stocks, the 60, or the 40. Today it's and, and that, has, that only happened once before. That was that period in 1900, and that suffered. That wasn't a lost decade. That was a lost two decades. So it's very, very hard for me to be encouraging anyone today to hold a traditional mix. In fact, how much, how much, how much, how much gold? How, how much gold does GMO have? <laughs> no, we, we, we don't. It's, it's very hard for us, as you, as you well know, Jim. It's very hard for us to value gold. So we tend not to have a strong opinion about gold. We just don't. We don't know how to value it very well. Oh, so we tend to shy away. I'll, Any I'll, strong I'll, views on gold? I'll, I'll send you a note on this. It's very easy, actually. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) All right. So um, this has been uh, uh, very fabulous indeed, Peter. You're you're good to come on and and, uh, and good to tell us these interesting things about the thing that we thought we knew, namely 60-40. But again, I don't don't mean to sound like Dr. Doom. It's really more – I mean, certainly holding a traditional mix is a Dr. Doom message. But the point is all of us have an ability to deviate from that 60-40. Our point is whatever your budget is – use it. Whatever your career risk budget is, use it now. If, if there was, again, if there was a moment where, a 60, where the 60 and the 40 were fairly valued, own it. Own it happily. But again, t- today is simply not that day. You know, the, uh, the future is a mystifying topic. I, for example, uh, from time to time, look at my phone and, uh, and check the 10-day forecast. And what I've noticed over the years, maybe it's just my phone, but I don't think, I think it's all phones, that when you look out to 10 days, by the time you come upon that 10th day, the forecast has changed from sunshine to a downpour and back again. And, and that's weather where the clouds don't have opinions or watch CNBC. And um, I have come away being much less certain about the future than I was when I was younger and knew more. And I'm wondering about the evident certitude of the GMO seven-year forecast, which is beyond a 10-day weather forecast. 
So the final question, Peter Giaffinelli, is, is valuation so dispositive that one can be truly dogmatic about the financial future, or must one leave room for doubt even on so fundamental a matter of valuation? In other words, is it possible the next seven years are going to be fabulous for all asset classes just because of something we haven't thought of? So any value manager you would have had on your program or speak at any of your conferences? We try to get away from that now. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, has, has certainly their, more than their fair share of, of humble pie, and, and GMO would definitely fall into that camp. This this cycle of values underperformance to growth has been humbling for us and and very painful for our clients, and we we feel it we feel it personally and we feel it professionally, and so that's one answer. The other answer is we absolutely have to prepare for different world scenarios. Now, we are not giving up on mean reversion, as I mentioned earlier. We're just saying maybe we've been too harsh on what the landing point of the mean is. And of course, there's all sorts of reasons, you know, very thoughtful people who are just not talking their book can make a a cogent case for rates staying low for a a very, very long period of time. We have to take that seriously. We have taken that seriously. And as I mentioned, we have a whole set of other forecasts where interest rates stay low, PE multiples stay high, or certainly that last 150 years of history, which has been our guide, we render moot and instead say from here forward, PE multiples are going to stay elevated. I may call them, you know, Ben Inker and Jeremy may may kick me under the proverbial table. I prefer to them as kinder, gentler forecasts. They are better. In other words, our base forecast that Evan was referencing has an assumption that PE multiples, wherever they are today, and they're incredibly elevated, as we all know today, revert back to their long-term 150-year norm. So they're pretty harsh. That that cliff is very is very steep. We're saying let's make it less steep. Let's say they land at a much higher point, a higher PE multiple. But even in those kinder, gentler assumptions, I will tell you, our forecast for U.S. stocks is still negative. We are trying to like U.S. stocks. We have we have no we have no no fight with U.S. stocks, and yet we are trying to like them. But but I saw an interesting study today that the earnings yield on the S and P 500 today in real terms, is negative. That only happened once before. That was 1999. So even if you believe that that PE multiples, some of the highest we've ever seen in U.S. history, stay this high and nothing changes, a reasonable person who who looks at earnings yield says, my chances of having a great decade are really, really low today. Now combine that with bond yields, with negative with negative real yields on bonds, and combine them in a 60-40, and it's just really, really hard to make the argument. And, and let's, well, let's not even get into yeah. credits, which I know is a, a topic near and dear to your heart. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, um, I, I, I'm sure the listeners are as grateful as I am for, for these uh, words of uh, straight words on hard facts, and uh, we just have to deal. But I, for one, and I think Evan is uh, with me on this, I am uh, a little bit more philosophical about this, uh, knowing uh, that we have a big problem with UFOs that overshadows this. So in the realm of money, this is big trouble. But cosmically, right, Evan? Yeah. And, what, and what's 120 years? <laughs> all right, Peter Chappanelli and GMO and all the friends of Grant's Interest Rate Observer at GMO. Thank you for all of this. It's been truly stimulating and interesting and, uh, and well done all together. So, no, my pleasure and our pleasure. Much pleasure. Thanks for having okay. us. And again, we, we wish you all well. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Evan, good to talk to you. Evan's back in the office now, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I don't know, things are looking better. It's a sunny day altogether, uh, except 
with respect to uh, bonds and stocks and so forth. <laughs> but we'll talk to you again on Current Yield Grants Interest Rate Observer of the Year. Thank you.